Hey, everybody. Uh, for those of you who I have not met yet, my name is Kent Woodrow. I'm the associate pastor here at Holy Cross. Uh, for those of you who uh, are longtime Holy Crossites and are looking forward to Jake Bennett's coming, let me uh, just remind you, keep praying. You know, we've called him as our lead pastor. We've got to bring him before Presbytery. Uh, and they've got a lot of stuff that they've got to handle and take care of and wrap up down in Tennessee if they're going to move up here. It's a lot of logistics, right? So let's keep praying. Um, We're excited to have them here. And until they're here, and once they're here, we're going to keep praying for them, right? Um, Because we love this family, and and you all proved that with the enormous vote that you guys gave for him. So uh, just keep Jake in prayer. Also, just another reminder, uh, in case you missed it, during our announcement portions. Uh, We are collecting gifts for our missionaries. So please, you know, uh, look at the Monday email. There's a link on there that has all the wish lists for them. Here's why we do this, right? Um, If you look at the lists, you'll find things like M&Ms and and, uh, candy and little games that you can run to Walmart and you can get like that. But even our missionaries living in places like Glasgow get homesick for M&Ms. So that's why we do it. We give them something like this to show them we don't just support you from afar. We see you. We love you. And and we want to bless you with little things, little things to us that mean a big thing, like are a big deal for them. Okay? So... uh, Check out those lists, bring your gifts to the church office by December 21st, and we will get those in packages and send them out to our missionaries. As a missionary kid, I can tell you, it means a lot. So uh, please go ahead and do that. Hey, uh, speaking of Christmas, today we begin our build-up to Christmas, right? Uh, So we're starting in our sermon series, uh, we're starting a series I'm calling The Coming King. And we're going to kick off this sermon with the great Christmas passage, Judges 17. And that's just part one. So we're only going to read Judges 17, but the story spans through 18, and we'll, we'll talk about the whole sermon. And I'm just going to prep you ahead of time. You're going to read that passage, and you're going to think, how on earth are we going to get a Christmas sermon out of Judges 17? Hey, we're not. We're getting an Advent sermon out of Judges 17, right? Because, you see, Advent is the season in our church's life where... Um, we, as, as, as a body, we choose to enter into the longings and the yearnings of God's Old Testament people, the people who came before Jesus. And, and we choose to experience their longing and for the Lord to make good on his promises, right? And, and this Advent in particular, we're focusing on the Lord's promises of a king, of a king. And hey, y'all, here's where this series is going to challenge us, Right? Because I bet you, you don't wake up in the morning with this inconsolable ache in your chest for a king. Probably not, right? I mean, the whole idea of a king can seem kind of archaic, maybe foreign, and uh, honestly, un-American. Because we don't do kings here. So that's why we're going to start this sermon talking about our need for a king. Because here's, here's the thing. You may not wake up in the morning with an inconsolable ache for a king. I don't know you, but I do know this. You probably wake up with an inconsolable ache, don't you? You probably know what it's like to yearn. 
you probably know what it's like to, to feel need, right? And I think what the Lord is going to show us today through his word is that ache, that longing, that, that need that you feel is a need for the king. So that's what we're going to talk about today from Judges 17. All right, so if you're able and willing, would you please stand? Turn in your Bibles to Judges 17. You'll also find it in the bulletin or else projected on the screen behind me. The great Christmas passage, Judges 17. There was a man of the hill country in Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said to his mom, the 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you about which you uttered a curse and spoke it in my ears, uh, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord, my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine. And he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest in those days. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a young man of Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah who was a Levite and he sojourned there. And the man departed from his town in Bethlehem in Judah to sojourn where he could find a place. And as he journeyed, he came to the hill country of Ephraim, to the house of Micah. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? And he said, I am a Levite of Bethlehem in Judah. I am going to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said, stay with me and be to me a father and a priest. And I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year and a suit of clothes and your living. And the Levite went in and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, that is Micah. And the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite. And the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will bless me or prosper me because I have a Levite as a priest. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and this is the true word of the living God. And he gives it to you because he loves you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would move. Uh, all of your words are true and trustworthy and they are good for our souls. It's we who have darkened eyes who cannot see what you would have us see. And so Lord, I pray that you would remove the blinders off of our eyes, that you would move in our hearts with your truth to do what we all want, to show us Jesus, that we might love him and become more like him. And that we might go into this world with the good news of our king. Would you do that, Lord? We, we are dependent on you for that. We cry out in your name. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. All right, outline today is really simple. You've got it in your bulletins if you want it. We just have two points. Two points are the need and the king needed. The need and the king needed. So, uh, Y'all, we're going to need some context, right? Uh, because not only have we not finished the story, there's still a second half coming in, in uh, chapter 18, but maybe you're not familiar with the book of Judges, right? So we got to give some context for that. Uh, so Judges was written 
about a time in Israel before there was a monarch. And broadly speaking, and like in a big, big generalization, Judges asks and answers the question, why do we need a king? And until this point in the, in the book of Judges, the answer has been, well, in large part, we need a king to protect us from our enemies. Because the Lord's people continue to be threatened by oppressing outside forces. But now the book shifts our attention. It shifts our attention from the oppressing outsider to the corrupt insider. And it begins to answer this question, well, why do we need a king? To protect us from ourselves. Enter Micah. All right, in case you weren't able to follow what we just read, I'm just gonna give you like a quick summary and then I'm gonna get into chapter 18. Um, So Micah builds an idol of Yahweh, Israel's covenant-making God. With money, he had stolen from his mom and then he sets up a whole house of worship, a shrine, like a a mini temple. Um, And he sets this up uh, for the worship of this idol. He then gets a homeless young man from the priestly tribe of Levi to serve as his in-house pastor. And... This Levite is like the keeper of this mini temple, this shrine of his. Y'all, he does all of this, at least he thinks, in service to Israel's God. Yahweh, the Lord. And in case you're not sure, like none of this that he does is kosher. In fact, it breaks pretty much all the laws that the Lord had set in place for his worship, right? All right, so that's, that's chapter 17. And then in chapter 18, we're introduced to a marauding band of nomads from the Israelite tribe of Dan. They were driven off their allotted land and they're wandering around homeless now. They show up at Micah's house with 600 guys. They plunder Micah's mini temple. They offer Micah's young pastor a cushy job as priest to their tribe. He very happily agrees. Um, and they cart off both priest and idol to the far northern reaches of Israel's territory. And I hear these Danite marauders slaughter a city, set up their new home in the place, which includes establishing the worship of Micah's idol under the oversight of Micah's former young priest. Doesn't that sound like a Hallmark Christmas movie? Yeah, it's... Look, hey, I get it. This may sound foreign, right? It may sound... And usually, you, you might be like, well, how does this apply to me, okay? But let's think about it. Let's think about what motivates these people. Why are they doing what they're doing in this very true story? And I bet you, as we start peeling away at that, you'll come to see we share a lot more in common with them than you might think up first, right? So, that said, let's talk about the felt needs. Your outline will say the... Uh, presenting problems, the felt needs. What are the needs that the people in this passage are feeling? The needs that they're trying to fill, right? And I think we can break them broadly into, into two categories. There's a need for blessing. And then there's a need for relationship with the Lord. All right, so let's look at the need for blessing. All right, so by blessing, I mean this, this, this yearning for the good life for wholeness, for prosperity, for for everything to work out the way it's meant to work, right? The Bible calls this right ordering of things, this aligning of things, calls this shalom, which is just a Hebrew word for peace. It's everything working the way it's supposed to. Hey, that's a yearning we all have, right? The need 
we feel for blessing? So where, where in our passage do we see this? Well, let's start with the Danites, okay? Uh, their longing, their yearning, their need is something that we hear actually all the time on the radio in this season. They want a home for Christmas. They want a place to belong, a place to care for their family. See, the Lord doesn't seem to be delivering on his promises. When, when they were allotted this chunk of land by Joshua, and it didn't seem to be working out for them. So they were going to take matters into their own hands, whatever it took. And uh, chapter 18, verses 5 and 6, they actually show up at Micah's house in the first place looking for this assurances that the Lord will bless their efforts to find a homeland. They just want, they just want a blessing of a home, a place to belong, a place to be. What about the young Levite pastor, right? Well, he wants the blessing, and a lot of us will resonate of a successful career. See, he couldn't cut it as a pastor down in Bethlehem. So he wanders around homeless looking for a place to make his own. So when Micah offers him this deal, it sounds like a pretty cushy gig, right? Uh, it's a good start to a, to, to a young guy, uh, young guy's career. He gets a roof over his head. He gets an annual salary. He gets a change of clothes, which back in that time, like, cost a lot of money to, make, to get some clothes. And he gets living expenses paid for, right? So that's not bad. It's worth breaking a few of the Lord's commands, right? If he's going to do this. And then he gets offered a better deal as a priest to a tribe. And goodness, if that's not a blessing just dropped in your lap, I don't know what is. So he joins the marauding Danites and he makes it big as the father of a cult up in the northern reaches of Israel. And it was a cult that lasted at least probably 100 years. What about Micah? What about Micah? How do you see him yearning for blessing? Hey, why do you think he stole from his mom in the first place? Because 1,100 pieces of silver, that's not, that's not chump change. That's a lot of money, right? And money seems to promise blessing. Until he gets spooked hearing his mom call down curses on the thief, and he's like, ah, I need to change this. And here's the, here's the other thing. Like, Micah likely lived no more than a day's journey away from where God, God's tabernacle, God's holy tent was currently set up in Shiloh. You can see that in uh, verse 31 of chapter 18, right? Um, so why does Micah start this whole cult in the first place? He's only a day's journey away. Why does he start this whole cult in the first place? Firing his own son that he had ordained as a priest and pastor to bring in another pastor with the right credentials as he sees it, right? This young man from the tribe of Levi. Hey, look at verse 13, the very last verse that we read in our passage. And Micah said, now I know that the Lord will prosper me. He will prosper me. That, that word prosper is literally cause good to me. Hey, I know, I know how to really secure blessing. I'll set up a mini temple in my own backyard. And then mom's curse won't haunt me for the rest of my life. And, and nothing bad will happen to me. And maybe I will know blessing, right? Hey, y'all, all these people, they just wanted blessing. They wanted the good life. They just wanted to get ahead. See, they didn't feel blessed. In fact, they felt like they'd been dealt a raw hand, most of them. And so... They were just doing what they thought was right 
to, to get themselves shalom, to get themselves that wholeness, that healing, that, that blessedness, the things that they felt they deserved. Hey, friends, do you know what that's like? Do you know what it's like to, to yearn for blessing, to yearn for wholeness, to feel like you've been dealt a raw hand? Do what it, gotta do what it takes, right? So that's the other question. What are you willing to do to secure that blessing? What are you willing to do to get shalom, right? All right, so we see this yearning for blessing, but in addition to a yearning for blessing, there's, there's also like this kind of deep sense of, of need for relationship with God in this passage, right? Because all the folks in this passage, they're, they're very religious. We're not talking about, about people out there doing whatever they want apart from God. We're talking about church folks, religious people, okay? See, Micah, Micah's mom, she seems to think that the best way to reverse the unintentional curse that she put on her own son is to dedicate the stolen money to the Lord to make a statue of him for worship, right? Micah himself is very religious, and the, the fact that he gets the money to make this idol kind of just starts him on this snowball of religiosity. Uh, he makes a mini temple, right? He makes a mini temple uh, for the worship of his mom's idol. And then he adds other idols to that mini temple. And then he uh, wrongfully ordains his son as a pastor of uh, the mini temple and makes him some fancy priestly robes, which is what the ephod is there in verse five. Uh, and then he strips these robes off his son and he puts it on somebody else that he feels like is more legitimate. He's got a more legitimate claim to being a pastor, right? Why is he doing that? He's very religious, very religious. What about the Danites? Well, they wanted guidance from the Lord on their raid. And then they decided, well, we don't just want the Lord's guidance. Let's take this statue of him that has been made and take that to our new homeland. Because in the end, what is a, what is a new homeland without an image of your God to protect that homeland, right? Hey, bottom line here, right? Can you sense the yearning? Can you sense the, the need that these people feel for a relationship with God? For a relationship with God. Do you, do you know that need? Do you know that, that, what that's like? If you're in this room, odds are you do, right? Most of us feel that. That's why we're here. Um, but isn't it fascinating? Like throughout time and space, all human beings have felt that need. Across cultures, across history, humanity has felt the aching need for God and some way to relate to him. And look, hey, even if, even if you're someone who's here and in that tiny percentage of human beings that's ever existed that says, well, I don't feel a need for God, right? Um, I can tell you right now, you do know what it is to ache, don't you? You do know what it's like to feel to feel yearning to feel need and then you try to fill that ache with you know what and I would say the Bible would say that ache that yearning that need that you feel is a need for God it's a need for the Lord right so 
These yearnings, the need that we feel to be blessed, the need that we feel to have a relationship with God, they're just baked into us. And, and like Micah and the crew here in Judges 18, uh, 17 and 18, we're all doing what we think is right to try to meet those needs. And what, what's the end result, right? Well, if, if our story is anything to go by, we make a wreck of things. In our, in our attempts to meet those needs. Why? Why is that? What do you think? What, what, what's the heart of our problem? Those are our felt needs. What's the heart of our problem? Well, you'll find the heart of our problem in the heart of our passage here. Uh, verse six, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. See, we human beings, uh, we go about trying to meet our needs for blessing, our needs for relationship with God in a way that seems right to us. And as we do that, we go wrong on two fronts. First, uh, we, in our, in our heart of hearts, we want to be our own little kings, don't we? In our heart of hearts, we want to be our own little kings. We make everything about us, our control, our status, what we look like, our well-being, Right? Like, think about it. Is there anybody in this passage who's doing anything that is completely in an unself-interested way? They're all acting in total self-interest, right? Everyone's out for their own blessing. You can see that in, in what Micah says uh, at the very end of the passage. He says, now I know that the Lord will prosper, not my mom, not my family. Now I know the Lord will prosper me, me. This is about me. Young Levite, in it for him. The Danites, in it for them, right? Here's the thing, though. Can, can we honestly say any of us here are actually that different? If you want something that is a frightening exercise, I want you to think about your most altruistic moment and really start digging in. Why'd you do it? Why did you do it? If you really come to know your own heart, you start realizing just how much we are all motivated by me, myself. I want to be my own little king, right? The Bible exposes that. So not only do we try to be our own little king and go wrong there, but in our heart of hearts, we're also shattered, right? The Bible says we've got no clue what is right because we're broken, and so very often we end up doing the wrong thing, convinced that it's completely right. I mean, hey, just look at everybody in this, in this story. They all did what they thought was right. And, and we can look at them and say, you're way off base, right? They couldn't see it. They were, a lot of them, they were convinced they were serving the Lord in what they were doing. I bet you you know what that's like in personal experience, right? I bet you right now you can think of somebody uh, in your life who is 100% convinced they are right and they're doing the right thing. And you're looking at it and be like, you are so wrong. You have no clue how this is going to mess up your life. It's going to mess up your family, how it's messing up your company, how it's messing up whatever, right? You have no clue. It's one thing to be able to notice that in others. Here's the question, check in. Can you notice it in yourself? 
when you start going wrong. See, the problem, the heart of our problem, and this is what the book of Judges, uh, I think, very graphically portrays throughout all of it. The heart of our problem is the problem of the heart, right? At the core of ourselves, we're rebels to the king. We're all pursuing our own independent little kingdoms. We want our own blessing when we feel like we can dictate the terms of our relationship with God because in the very beginning, like we just heard um, from Anne when she read, we rebelled against the king. We were made to be loyal subjects and servants of the king and that is what brought us wholeness and shalom. That's what made everything right. We rebelled. We wanted to be our own little kings and we broke everything. And because of that, we're broken inside. At heart, we are rebels. And so everything that our good king says, this is right, this is good, we kind of instinctively drift to the opposite end of that. We're just drawn to that. And so... For us, what is right, what seems right, is often wrong. And what is wrong, we so often justify as right, you know? And you see that all over this passage. People just doing what they thought was right, ending up in a jam. Um, And here's the sad irony of it all, right? When we're out pursuing blessings, pursuing relationship with God and doing all of this in the way that we think is right. The ver- those things are the very things we lose, isn't it? We're out there trying to make the best of things and it ends up blowing up in our face. We're out there trying to pursue God our way and he feels as distant as ever. And he looks awfully like a, just a bigger, slightly better version of me. And there's no real relationship. Right? It's a sad irony. Because you can't rebel against someone and have relationship with them. That just doesn't work. And you can't find blessing, wholeness, shalom, apart from God's kingdom, with the king there and in relationship with him. All right, so that's the need. That's the depressing bit. I'm not going to say it's necessarily going to get better. Remember, this is an Advent sermon, right? But if we focused on our needs... If we have focused uh, on this miserable picture of what life is like uh, when we're trying to be kings on our own, how do you fix that, right? How do you fix that? Bad news, you can't. You can't fix that. Good news, there is someone who can. There is someone who can, and he and he alone is the one who can do it. So let's talk about the king we need, okay? The king we need, the king needed. Hey, so if you're asking right now, okay, so those are our longings, those are our needs, right? Like, but how is a king, a king specifically, supposed to meet the needs that we feel for blessing, for relationship with God, for, to address the problem in our hearts? Well, then you're asking the right question. See, we, we need a king to restore us. We need a king to restore us, to, to restore our problematic, rebellious hearts. That's the first thing that we're going to look at. And then to restore our relationship with God. All right, so what does that look like? Let's talk about our hearts, right? We need a king to restore our hearts. Uh, hey, as somebody who grew up in Africa where there are a lot of coups and so forth, I can tell you there are two surefire ways to get rid of a tyrannical dictator. 
You wait for them to die or you overthrow them. Two surefire ways. Do you realize that there is a cruel tyrant lording over our hearts right now and ruining our lives? Who, who's that? You might be inclined to say the devil. Uh, sure, maybe that's a part of it. It's worse than that. The tyrant ruining your life and my life is you and me. You and me. And, and the writer of Judges recognizes that as he's exposing the hearts of God's people. See, we need a compassionate king to take pity on the wreck that we are making of our lives, right? We, we need a compassionate king to invade our lives, to overthrow the tyrannical dictator on our hearts, us, you and me, to set himself on that throne for our good. Hey, friend, um, let me just ask you, is that you? Are you waking up to the, to the mess that you keep making out of, out of your own life, right? Like, you're pursuing things, doing what you think is right, and yet so often it ends up wrong, and it's blowing up in your face, and it hurts you, and it hurts those around you that you're, you're trying hard to love. Is that you? Are you tired of doing things your way? Because in the end, you just find out, well, I was wrong. And it's hurting folks. Do you feel the need to, to be restored? to be made whole, to, to find shalom and blessing. Hey, if that's you, I just, I just want to say a couple things to you, right? Like one, just know you're not alone. You're not alone. Because every Christian in this room knows what that feels like. Knows what it feels like when things blow up in our face because we've tried to be our own kings. Because we've done what we thought was right and it was wrong. Here, here's the other thing I want you to know. Like, if that's you, I think King Jesus is invading. I think he's pushing in on your hearts. And my encouragement to you would be, if, that, if that's you, don't resist. Give him the throne of your heart. It belongs to him anyway. Give him the throne of your heart and see how he moves toward you as a loving king, ruling with wisdom and compassion doing it for your good. Y'all, I, I can say, like, if, if you're on the fence, I can say, talk to a Christian in here and say, what's it like having Jesus rule over you? And I, and I will speak from my own personal testimony, right? I, I wouldn't want to have anything else. In fact, I can tell you, uh, it's, 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 things really go wrong for me when I start trying to sit back on my throne of my heart and take over again and try to rule according to the ways that I see is right. So give him the throne of your heart. Trust him. I think King Jesus is invading, if that's you. So we need a king to restore his rightful rule over our hearts, to overthrow us as our own tyrannical dictators, right? So we need a king to restore our hearts, but we also need a king to restore our relationship with God, right? See, 
we don't often talk about this, but the king in Israel, yes, he was supposed to represent the Lord's rule to his people. He, he was the one who was uh, enacting the king's just, or the Lord's justice and following his ways uh, and, and upholding the Lord's laws in Israel. But do you also realize that the king in Israel wasn't just mirroring God's rule to his people, he was also representing God's people to the Lord, to the king the true king of Israel, God himself. See, he was supposed to be this model, the king was supposed to be this model Israelite, this one who faithfully followed in the patterns of the Lord, this one who had like the scroll of God's law, his own personal copy of the Bible written so that he could pour over it. He held on to that, right? He faithfully followed the Lord as the representatives of God's people. And that's why, at least in part, when, when Israel had faithful kings like Josiah, even when the people themselves were fairly rebellious, things still prospered. But when they had a bad king like Rehoboam, that was bad news for God's people, even though the people themselves largely were fairly faithful. The king's performance mattered a ton, right? All right, so let's bring it home. How do we, what does this mean for us? Hey friend, do you want your relationship with God based on your performance? I think if you know yourself, if you really know your heart, you'd say no, right? For all the reasons we just talked about. We're, we're rebels. We, we think what is wrong is right and right is wrong. We're totally confused. You don't want your relationship with the with the perfect God, the blazing fire of purity that melts anything that is sin-tainted. You don't want your relationship with him based on you, right? And here's the good news. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. In fact, if Jesus is your king, then he your sinless king will represent you to our pure God. And not just represent, he'll also bring you into relationship with this God, right? But because he is your pure, spotless representative, he also secures for you God's blessings. He does that, not your performance. The king secures the Lord's blessings for you which is a nice segue. So let's talk about we need a king not just to restore us, our hearts, and our relationship with God. We need a king to bless, right? Hey, I think it's worth mentioning, isn't it? That the king's gracious treatment of us as rebels that we just finished talking about, um, that's a blessing, isn't it? Because think about it. What is it that kings do with rebels? They execute them. They slaughter them. They stamp out rebellion. Uh, at the very least, it's life in prison, right? But they stamp out that rebellion because there can be no peace, there can be no shalom while there is rebellion. So rulers of state, stamp that out. Is that how our king responds to rebels, to us? Hey, one day he will come and he will root out every last trace of rebellion. He will. Because again, there can be no true shalom while there is rebellion. And for now 
in his great kindness, he moves toward us to restore our hearts, to bring us into relationship with him because that's what he cares about. He cares about you. It's not just performance and law. He cares about you. He wants relationship with you. So he's come after your heart to bring you into relationship with him. That's how he responds. His heart is to bless. Hey, here's the thing though. The only way our King Jesus, again, this is a sneak preview. We shouldn't be getting here yet because it's still Advent. The sneak preview is the only way that our King Jesus could offer us the blessing of heart made new and, and relationship with the Lord, right, was to choose to take the penalty for our rebellion. To be cut off from a relationship with his God, the one he loved, the relationship that mattered most to him. And to choose to die as a rebel for rebellion he didn't commit, right? And he did that so that rebels like me and rebels like you, so that we could be welcomed into his family and know shalom. All right, let's think back. So that's, that's the blessing that he gives us in his gracious treatment of us. Uh, let's think back on the needs and the yearnings that we've just seen in this, in this passage, and we'll wrap it up this way, okay? Think about the needs, the, the yearnings that you saw. The Danites had this yearning for the blessing of a home. The Levite had a yearning for the blessing of a successful career. Micah just had this yearning for prosperity, for blessing, just period, right? Do you know what? The, and then there's this, this, this yearning for relationship with God. So let's talk about that. You know what that's like? Think back again to our original question. You know what that's like? You know what it's like to yearn, to long. Hey, I think this, this particular season that we're in highlights more than anything our yearning, our need, our, our craving for blessing. So from October through December, because that's how long the Christmas season is in our culture these days, um, it's, it's almost impossible to listen to the radio, to scroll your Instagram feed, to take a walk through Walmart, to uh, turn on the TV without feeling this great throbbing yearning of humanity. Our yearning for blessing, for the good life, for wholeness, for things to work the way they're supposed to. Our yearning for shalom, right? And it's as if, it's as if for this one season, our culture's calendar and our church's calendar kind of line up. It's a season of yearning season of longing for the blessing of everything to be made right again. It's the Advent season. So again, what are you yearning for? What needs do you feel? And, and like the folks in our passage, how hard are you working to try to meet those needs all on your own? Because here's what's beautiful about the Christmas story the Christian story of Christmas, quite apart from Frosty the Snowman and Santa Claus and all them. What's beautiful about the Christian Christmas story, the real Christmas story, is that we believe that wholeness, that, that blessing, that, that everything that we long for and yearn for, that we are working so hard in all the wrong ways to get that often blows up in our faces, just like it did for Micah and the crew there. The only thing 
That, that, that shalom that we seek, the place we find that is in the king, the king himself. And here's, here's what's beautiful. He offers that to us. It's not something you gotta earn. The king offers you shalom and he does it free, free of charge. He offers it to us in himself. And we'll talk more about that in the coming weeks. See, in the cradle at the stable and on the cross at the hill, our king offers us himself. The prince of peace, the bringer of eternal blessing, the writer of everything that is wrong in the world, the king that we need and the king whose advent we yearn for. Let's pray. Father, in this season, as we, I know, are going to feel the pressing needs, even if it's just, even if it's just need for time um, in, in December, more time to do all the things. Father, I pray that you would press home our need for you. You would not let us escape that feeling of need. And Lord, would you draw us to yourself? Keep us yearning after the thing that matters most, our King Jesus. And we ask this in his name.